Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. Cool, you guys are on it this morning. That's twice. <laughs> Not rhetorical. I got, I need some feedback. I need I need to hear you guys. So uh, <laughs> I um it, it's it's easier more fun to preach to people when they talk back. So I know your parents taught you not to talk back, but if you ever feel a hearty amen somewhere inside, feel free to let it out. No, but it's it's been great. We are in this series um, greater than, right? This must be greater than that. And I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed preparing the messages and and, uh, preaching God's word. And um, I feel like you guys have been uh, really involved, and it's been for me. It's been a fun series, and we're we're nearing the end of it. We got this week and next week, and we'll be the end of this series. But, but this week I want to look at uh, something that I think is usually pretty done fairly well. It's kind of what the South is known for, right? And that is hospitality, right? Hospitality must be greater than fear. And that's what we're going to get into today. And I'm just going to kind of jump into it from the start. Uh, our, our scripture that we're going to be kind of focusing in on is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 2. I'm going to read it for you. Hebrews 13, 1 through 2, and it says this, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware of it. Pretty short, right? But think about that. Some have entertained angels in their hospitalities, completely unaware of it. That's the, that's verse two. And I kind of want to stay there for just a second before we, we really dive into this hospitality message. And what's really interesting about this is it's kind of hard to explain and unpack, but but if you go and you kind of look at the original language and the Greek, the writing here, they kind of use a, a word play. And it doesn't mean this verbatim, like word for word, but the, basically the, def, the, the way you would kind of unpack this word play that they get into is that you never know the blessings that are going to happen when you choose hospitality over fear. 
you never know what these angels could come to bring. Because if you think about it, if you think about it, what is an angel in Scripture? The, the definition of an angel is a messenger, right? When they come, they always come to, to bring some kind of message to the people. You think about, um, if you, this, is, this actual passage kind of is pointing back literally to Abraham's story. And, and Abraham, there's these three people, these three angels that come to visit him. And, and he offers them hospitality. And they actually bring him the message that his promise, the promise that God gave him, is near. And if you think about the way he lived it out, what if he would have not brought them in? What if he didn't offer them hospitality? He could have missed out on the message of that promise. Even you can fast forward a little bit to Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. And and there's these angels that come in and he entertains them, right? They become his guest. He's their host. And and there's actually kind of this really weird, scary situation where the people in the city, which we know is corrupt, they come and they actually want to have sex with his guests. And he's like, whoa, no, that's not okay. Like that would make me a terrible host, right? Like, and he's offering them great hospitality, protecting them and keeping the people out. And they actually tell him of the city's destruction. And Lot is later able to escape that city's destruction because he entertains, he has hospitality for these angels. I have a a pastor friend that um, is a pastor of a a pretty large church. And when you kind of get to that status where your church is large, people kind of start to follow you on on social media and and they want to kind of learn from you. And so he gets messages on on like Instagram all the time of people like wanting to have coffee with him and and kind of hear, get some advice from him and wisdom from him. And, And he's like, seriously, like, honestly, I get it, but I'm, I'm just this normal person and you won't like me as much in person as you do as I'm on stage. Like I promise I'm different. But he had this one, this one individual that kept, was persistent, kept messaging, saying, hey, let's get together. Come on, let's get together. And he actually got to this place where he was like, well, okay. <laughs> he was like, he's not proud of him. He's like, I guess. I mean, I'll give you 10 minutes of my time, right? He's really pastoral in that moment. <laughs> so he actually goes and he sits down and he has coffee with this guy and, and he planted this church. So like he spent uh, multiple years raising money for this church, but they got to the place now where they were not really raising money anymore. But he sits down with this guy and this guy's like, hey, you don't know me. I don't go to your church, but I, I know some people that go to your church. I've seen how you do ministry. I really appreciate it. And we would actually like to bless you with this money. And they wrote him a extremely large check from their business to their church. Had he chose not to offer hospitality, he would have missed out on that blessing. And, and the point of this is not, you know, entertain people because you'll get stuff, Right. But the point of this is that, that the, the message of the Bible, the message of Scripture, is that when we choose to offer hospitality, it brings blessing. Sometimes those angels can bring a message of deliverance, of salvation, of breakthrough, and stuff that you would have never known was going to happen if you would have chose fear over hospitality. And the truth is that's, that's kind of our culture it's kind of where we're at. We have this culture of, of, exclus- of exclusion, right? We're, we're literally, we're in the, a year away from the next presidential election, right? And, and it's already kind of getting into the heavy campaign season, and we're about to like dive into it. And, and the years of presidential elections, as we're kind of getting to that, is such a unifying time for America, except not, <laughs> right? Like it, it, can, it brings out the, the worst in people. Let's just be honest. And, and the truth is, it's easy to pick on politics 
But there are all kinds of divides that happen in our culture. There's, there's racial divides, there's generational divides, there's cultural divides, there's things that, that make us different from other people. And this kind of comes into this place that creates division, creates this difference between us. And, and different can be scary. Right, if if you are in a new environment, we we went to a trunk or treat thing last night, and it was um, at a church that wasn't our church, and we didn't really know what was going on, and we walked in, and it was not well done. And so, as you walk to the where all the trunks are, you get there, and the trunks don't have any candy in them. There's like two people outside, and you're like, "What's going on?" And we realized that everybody had already gone inside, and they were eating hot dogs, which we didn't even know was a part of the thing. And it was just—it was very uncomfortable. I, it was different from how I've been. We, our church in South Carolina, used to put on trick or treat, so it was different from what I knew. I didn't know anybody there, and it was like anxious, right? Like you start like, "Oh, what do we do? Maybe we should just go forget this whole thing." And then your daughter's like, "I want candy," and you're like, "Oh, what are we gonna do?" <laughs> but there's this moment when there's something different, when there's something different, unusual. It brings up this fear and this anxiety in us, and our natural reaction is to avoid that, right? We label things as fear, the other as fear, and we're like, you know what? Let's not go there. But the problem is, it's not just situations, it's not just places we go, but it becomes actual people. People who we, in our minds, label as other, and other as is bad. And we try to avoid it. it. It becomes an us versus them. Us is my way, them is their way, and it never stays neutral, right? Eventually, us has to have power over them. Us has to be better than them. We get to a place where we, we even demonize them so that we don't have to actually care about them. We get to a place where we, we try to either maybe assimilate them, make them look exactly like us. We get to a place where maybe we try to dominate over them. We try to get to a place where them actually no longer even exists anymore, where we can eliminate them. Because when them is no longer there, everything around us, the world becomes just like me. If not the world, maybe just a space, maybe just a church, maybe just a work environment. It all becomes like me and it's comfortable now. We don't have to face that fear. We don't have to give them empathy or compassion because if we label them as not human, which we wouldn't come out and say that, but if we treat them as other, as not one of us, then we don't have to have empathy or compassion for them. And it can completely rob the world of the gospel. So the goal of today's message is to give us a hospitality lens. And the truth is, we all know what the other is. Maybe the other is, is Republican or Democrat, right? Maybe it's male or female or black or white or a gamer or a businessman or a, a white collar, blue collar, whatever the category is. We all have a people that we're comfortable around or that we're not comfortable around. And the goal today is for us to say wherever we are at in our environment, in our world, to give us a hospitality lens so that when we look at the world, when we look at the people, when we look at someone who is different, we look at them in a way that says, I want them to be a part of my group. Not changing them, but letting Jesus impact their life and them using their gifts for who they are, how the Holy Spirit has gifted them and equipped them. And they become a part of us, but are still themselves. Does that make sense? 
We want to have a hospitality lens so that our first thought when we see someone is not to label them as other. Our first thought isn't political. Our first thought isn't moral, but our first thought is Jesus. How would Jesus love them? So what I want to do is I want to kind of answer the three questions. What is hospitality? Why is it essential? Why is it important? And how do we practice it? All right, real simple, real quick, maybe, we'll see. But, but how, do we, how do we live a life with a hospitality lens? The first thing I want to do is define it. What is hospitality? Well, hospitality simply is Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Are you with me? Like Chick-fil-A is amazing. You go in, I read an article that talked about how the the, um, fast food restaurant with the longest wait time is Chick-fil-A. And I was like, this is impossible. Like I've been to Chick-fil-A and the wait time is not that long. So I started paying attention and I was like, you know what? I actually do wait a pretty long time at Chick-fil-A, but in that long wait, they probably serve a hundred cars and I can wait the same amount of time at McDonald's and I'm the only car that gets served, right? And there's this sense of they've got it down to a science and you feel like they care, right? You feel like through the conversations, through the way they take your order, if you're inside, like seriously, one of the, like maybe two times ago, I go to Chick-fil-A quite often, don't judge me, okay? Two or three times ago, I'm at Chick-fil-A and I've got two cups and I'm walking up to the counter and I get like three steps from my table and the employee goes, hey, 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 what are you drinking? I got that. And takes the cups from me and goes to get the, and I was like, what is this? Like, do I need to leave a tip on the table? Is it like a, is this a restaurant? What's going on? There's this sense of like, they care about you. They take care of you, right? And that's kind of how we, when we think about hospitality, we kind of think about it in two different ways. There's this experience that we, that we have, right? Where it's, man, this was an elegant experience. This was a great experience, man. They cared about me. It's something that we experience or hospitality is, let's just be honest, those annoying extroverts with too much energy that are just like over the top about everybody, right? kind of these two different categories of of what hospitality really is. But if you look at the word that the Bible uses, the Greek word, it's called philoshens. Okay, don't judge me. Don't judge me. (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Okay, it uses the Greek word Chick-fil-A. I said this a hundred times at home, and now I get up here and I can't say it. Philosen, xenon, whatever, something like that. Wow, that's embarrassing. Okay, basically, you break it down. At the beginning of it is feel, right? So you think about Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Like this is the word for love, love, friendship. There's several words for love in the Bible, but this is the one, this is kind of the brotherly love, right? So you have brotherly love, friendship, kind of of, uh, emotion. And then xenon is literally foreigner or stranger. So you break it down and it literally means love of foreigners, friendship of strangers. There's this this sense of, hey, this is caring genuinely about the other. Caring genuinely about the other. And it's not like it's not like a suggestion. Like, hey, you should go out and and love one another, like brotherly love. You should continue in brotherly love. Like maybe you should go do that. But no, this is a command. It's actually a biblical man, command to love the stranger. It's this sense of of creating an environment where the other becomes another one of you, where the the out becomes the in. A lot of times it uses the necessities of life, like food or drink or conversation, where you bring people in and you use these things and you say, this is, this is the environment, an environment of welcoming that I'm using to change you from an outsider to an insider, where people move from just a statistic 
to a story. They're not just some kind of category, but you begin to know them for who they are. There was one time we were in uh, South Carolina and we were at one of the greatest restaurants ever called Cookout. If you ever get a chance to go to one of those, go there, right? But you can get uh, chicken nuggets and a quesadilla as your sides for the combo. Okay, so just, there you go. You know what's going on, right? And so this, we're at this cookout restaurant and it's when we're in college and Lauren and I are waiting in line and there's this guy behind us and I'm like, I want to do the Jesus thing and buy his meal, right? Because this dude was clearly homeless. I mean, big, ugly, nasty beard. <laughs> but he had this huge beard, and he was his clothes were kind of, they had holes in them, and they were rough, and he was, he was covered in dirt. And I was like, this guy has to be homeless. And in my naive nature as a, a, a Jesus college teenager almost like hey I'm gonna buy his meal right he was just this statistic just this category and so I buy his meal and he actually is like ask if he could sit down and eat with us and I'm like well this is better than I expected I'm a little uncomfortable but this is good so yeah so we buy his meal he sits down and eats with us and this dude is like well educated <laughs> has a great big family he's talking about his grandkids talking about his kids he's like was a farmer so that's why he was dirty but like he had plenty of money he was not the statistic that i thought he was right he just looked this way and then in my young naive nature i put him into a category but when i sat down and shared a meal with him one of those necessities of life food and had a conversation he moved from a statistic to a story and a lot of the frames that i had about life were shattered in that moment i thought i was having a buying his milk because i was going to help him but through that conversation in that moment god changed me it wasn't about the outward appearance it wasn't about the statistic what they looked like it was about having a moment where other becomes one of us having a moment where the divide has been crossed where the barrier has been broken and there is a community that builds. That's what hospitality is. It's the love of a stranger. It's bringing somebody in. It's crossing that barrier. When we look at our life, do we live a life, when we look at our church, does our church live a life that makes someone that may be or feel like an outsider come in and be one of us where we hear their story and they move from a statistic to a person? That's what hospitality is. We can't let our fears dictate how we live life. Just because they're different doesn't mean we don't have a conversation with them. So if if that's what hospitality is, why is it so important? Why is it essential to our our faith? The the easy answer is because that's salvation. (laughs) That's what God did to us. That, that's the story. That's the gospel. God who is other. We are outside of him. We are separated. He, come, he crosses that divide. He crosses that barrier and reaches out to us. That's how he treated us. I think we, we forget how genuinely kind God is. A lot of times in the South, we've grown up and we've, you've, you've heard the Bible beaters talking about in the hands of an angry God. We hear how much God hates sin and how much he hates the actions you've taken. And, all, and we forget about the love of God and that he is so generally kind, that he genuinely cares about you in such a way that he himself got off of the throne, came down out of heaven and went to the cross so that we were no longer separated from him. But instead we, are, we live, we become one with him, his Holy Spirit. We become the temple because he invades who we are. We read the scripture and, and honestly, I mean, anybody in here Jewish? 
I mean, that's exactly zero people, right? (laughs) It's kind of what I thought. But when we go in and we read scripture, especially the Old Testament, a lot of times we read as if we're the Jewish people. But if we're honest, we were not the Jewish people. We're the Canaanites. We're the Philistines. We're the outsiders. We're the ones that are separated. The covenant doesn't belong to us. That, but, but then Jesus comes into the picture. Jesus comes into the picture and he creates a new covenant. And we don't understand the magnitude of his reach. The extent of his reach is so great that it includes everybody. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter what economic system you come from. It doesn't matter what country you come from. It doesn't matter the color of your skin or the way you talk, how much education you had. Everybody has a chance to have life in Christ and to be connected with God because he crossed that barrier. The ultimate act of hospitality is Jesus on the cross. It knows no limit. You're never too far gone. You're never too far cut off. You're never severed from his love. I had a, another story from South Carolina. We had this guy that used to come into Starbucks when I was working there all the time named Clyde. And Clyde was really homeless this time. And this part was true. I'd had conversations with him, right? And um, there was one time I was just getting some work done. I wasn't actually working there. I was doing school work. And he comes in and, and me and my buddy Logan, we actually sit down and buy him a coffee and have a conversation with him. And we're just talking to him. And, and it kind of gave me a, 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 things I knew but it gave me a, a real person to kind of hear the story of homelessness. And you, you talk about being severed from society. You talk about being alone and separated from people. The homeless population feels that greater than almost anybody in the world. This guy, Clyde, he literally had came to South Carolina in search of a job. There was a job opportunity that he was told about. And he came here, and he had to have some of this essential documents, like an ID and stuff like that. And it got lost along the way. And so since he got lost, he was unable to get the job. And then he went back, and he tried to contact people back home and was unable to get a hold of them. And pretty soon, he found himself sleeping on a bench here or on a bench there and became very lonely and an outsider. And so in that moment, he turned to drugs and alcohol, something to just get rid of those bad feelings. And, and after that, soon after that, became an addict. And he got to the place now where, I mean, he was really honest. He was like, and here I am, like, and I, have, I can have chances to get back on my feet, but I always just take the money. I always just take whatever I get just to go get another bottle of beer just to get another high. And he got to this place that he became an addict because he was so severed and alone and nobody to reach out to. And in that moment, I'm just thinking, like, that's who we are. We're completely severed from God. We have no way of reaching out and grasping who he is. But in his love and kindness and hospitality, he reached out to us. We talked about that, that provenient grace before where, where the Holy Spirit actually comes out to us and frees our will that we can choose God or not choose God. But without God acting first, there's nothing that we can do to know him. And that is this ultimate act of hospitality. And when we were in college, one of the things they teach us is to kind of look at um, a book of the Bible and kind of give it a, a theme throughout the whole book. And so for the next little part here, I'm actually gonna preach through the entire book of Luke. Are you guys ready? <laughs> no, but really, so one of the things we had to do is we had to take, kind of dissect some of the, the big parts of a, of a book of the Bible and kind of come up with a theme. So I'm going to do that really quickly with Luke by just listing a few things. Starting in Luke 4, we talked about this last week. Jesus, Jesus reads the scroll and says, basically it's his manifesto, like, what am I here to do? 
set the captives free, bring healing to the, to the blind. It's this long list of things that Jesus says, this is what I've come to do. It's this, this whole act of reaching out to those who are different, those who are broken, those who have, dis- have all kinds of things that's happened to them, issues, and I've come to bring them healing and freedom and life. I've come to make them go from an outsider <laughs> to an insider. Luke 5, he actually eats with sinners, right? He eats with Matthew and people look at him and they're like, what is this? What is your leader doing? Why is he eating with these tax collectors? Why is he eating with these, these evil people of society? And Jesus in this moment says, I didn't come for the, the, the healthy. I didn't come for the rich. I came for the broken. I came for the sick. Jesus says, I came for those that are outsiders. Fast forward to Luke chapter 10, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard of that. It's done well over time. People like this story. You probably know it, right? There's this, this uh, person that gets injured, and all these people who are the right people come by, and they do the wrong thing. And then there's this person that comes up, the Samaritan. And, and honestly, this is like the worst person you could think of in the eyes of, of, the, of the people Jesus is telling this story to. It's like a, a Taliban pedophile. Like you, people absolutely, they absolutely hate this person. He is 100% evil. In their eyes, that's how they feel about him. But he comes through and he does the right thing. And Jesus, just so you know, if you ever ask Jesus a question and he begins to tell you a story, you're in trouble. (laughs) And Jesus is telling the story because they've asked him, you know, how do I know who my neighbor is? And Jesus says, the person that is extremely different, the person that you don't like, the person that might rub you the wrong way, that you're afraid to talk to, that you've labeled as other, that's the person that is your neighbor. Keep going into Luke 14. There's a, a feast that's being thrown and, and there's an invitation not for the people that were supposed to come, but the people that are out in the street just trying to fill the table. Luke 15, you've got the coin, right? The, the, we we kind of sing about this morning where the, uh, Jesus will leave the 99 for you. You got the sheep and then you've got the prodigal son all right there together. Three stories in a row where Jesus is making the same point and that's that he has come to celebrate the one that's been lost and now is found, the outsider that comes in. Luke 19 is like, Zacchaeus, you know, the wee little man in the tree, Jesus actually forces hospitality on him and says, I'm coming to your house tonight, right? There's this, Zacchaeus is known for his ungodly oppression, but in that moment he sees Jesus and Jesus uses hospitality to reach him. Luke 22 is the last supper where he actually uses a meal to, to, with his disciples to tell them what's going on and what's going to happen. In Luke 24, he's having a meal with, the people, with his followers when they realize he's the resurrected Jesus. All throughout the book of Luke, guess what's going on? Hospitality. Jesus reaching out to the other. Jesus' ministry, a guy named Joshua Jip says it this way. Jesus' ministry was divine hospitality to the stranger. Divine hospitality to the stranger. That's why it's essential to who we are. Could that be a phrase that describes your life? When you go about that you are known for divine hospitality to the stranger, 60 years from now, when people look back at your life, what are they going to say about you? Because that's what we do now, right? We look at World War II and the Germans and how they treated the Jews. Where, where were you on that side of the, of the, the argument, uh, I'm very proud to be a Wesleyan pastor and for this to be a Wesleyan church because during the under, time of the Underground Railroad, that this denomination was known for helping slaves escape to freedom. There was this cultural issue that churches didn't want to make a stand about, but the Wesleyan denomination said, we are going to make a stand because we are supposed to show hospitality to those that seem different than us. You can go to Southern Westland University and actually see Freedoms Hill, a church that has bullet holes in the door for where they decided to stand up for what was right. 
Are we willing to have divine hospitality for the stranger, even if it costs us? And here's how we practice it. First Peter 4, 8 through 10, or 8, 10 through, yeah, 8 through 10. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. The way that we practice hospitality is the first start with love. Love has to be the first action. There's, you know, there's old bracelets that say, what would Jesus do? Now there's a movement using the same font that says, he would love first. Because that's the actions that we must take. We have to leave with, lead with love. There's a, an author, Ros, Rosaria Butterfield, and she actually uh, was a lesbian postmodern philosopher. And she absolutely hated Christians. She has a book in, in the, a book called the, the Gospel Comes with a House Key. She talks about how evilly she was treated by Christians and how literally the thought of talking to one would make her sick to her stomach. And she wrote this article that kind of went viral about promise keepers, which is this movement, a men's ministry, if you don't know, where they would go to huge arenas and, and men would come from all over. It was a big movement of God. People would get saved. And she wrote this article against it. And the article kind of just completely slammed the whole thing. A bunch of misogynist men, Christians are evil, la da 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 She couldn't stand Christians. And after that, she received all kinds of hate mail. And she says, I don't really know why, but she decided to read some of the mail, right? And so she's reading this mail, and she gets a, a, a letter from a pastor who kind of wrote an article in response. And she said, it was the nicest hate mail I ever received. <laughs> there was so much love and hospitality inside of that letter that she, and then at the end of the letter, the, the pastor actually invited her into their home. And he was like, hey, we just... The, my summary of it is they wanted her to move from a statistic to a story. He just wanted to hear her story. And so she takes him up on the offer. And she actually goes to the house. And in, in the book, she talks about how her mindset is actually like recon. Like, I'm going to write another article just tearing Christians apart. And this guy, he's going to be my source. He doesn't know it yet, but he's going to be my source. And so she's like, pulls up into the, she's at the driveway. And she actually sits in her car for a minute because she can't, bring herself to get out of the truck because she is absolutely sick to her stomach. She can't believe she's about to go into the home of one of these Christians. And she kind of dilly-dallies around, tries to pass time, and eventually breaks down and goes in. And she talks about how when she crossed the threshold of that house, it wasn't what she expected, and neither were the years to follow. She could hardly stand to go in there, but once she got in there, nothing went as planned. The pastor and his wife took all kinds of extreme steps to make her feel welcome. They knew from her writings that, that she kind of blamed Christians for destroying the earth, and, and she, so she didn't eat meat. And, and so what they did is they created a, a completely a feast, a vegetarian feast, right, for her to come in and partake in. They didn't use the air conditioning. They cut on fans. They created a space where she would feel welcomed. They took time to care about her and lead with love. 
And she ends up through that conversation and later conversations becoming a follower of Christ. Because what that family did is they said, we're going to love first. We're going to use the necessities of life, food, conversation, drink, clothing, whatever it is. We're going to use that to cross the barrier. And they listened to her story. They didn't come in with an agenda trying to change her. They listened to her story. And through that, she becomes a follower of Christ. It's about leading with love. The second thing we see here is, is not to gossip, right? It says to, to do away with, or offer hospitality with one another without grumbling. That grumbling is that murmur. There's a, an interesting quote by St. Augustine where he wasn't a saint yet, but he was on his, on his way to being a saint, right? But he has this quote, and the, the, the George summary is like, hey, if you're going to sit at this table and talk negatively about another man, you're not welcome here. And basically he stands his ground and says, this is going to be a place where we uplift each other. If someone is not here and you have something negative to say about them, you're not welcome here. If you have a problem with somebody, you take it to them. Gossip has this tendency to build a false bridge. I was guilty of it this past week at work. But you kind of have uh, the tellers and you've got the bankers. And there's a particular banker that was getting on all the tellers' nerves, right? And so there's this moment where that banker finally leaves for the day and all the tellers are standing around and man, it just it just starts happening. We just start bad-mouthing that banker and like, listen, I'm a pastor and I did the right thing and that's a lie. I was right in there with them because this, this banker was frustrating me. And there's this moment where we've got this awesome camaraderie. Like all the tellers are sitting there and we're having a good time. We're building relationships with each other. We're, I mean, it's, it's a fun moment of work because gossip has this tendency to the people you're talking with become closer. But in that process of becoming closer, the other person becomes another. And you're not far from casting them out dehumanizing them and no longer showing compassion or empathy and not being like Jesus. We have to fight gossip because it's very easy and it feels good and makes you feel like you're one of the group. But gossip always tears somebody down and always creates that divide that the church is called to be different. So we lead with love, we ditch the gossip. And the third thing, the final thing is be yourself. That passage talks about using your gifts. Not everybody is called to preach. Not everybody can teach, but everyone can have a conversation. Uh, Introvert or extrovert, you've been gifted some way, somehow to show hospitality. I'm not saying you need to throw a house party and invite a bunch of strangers in. Listen, if you're an introvert, that's a nightmare. I get it. But as an introvert, you can have a conversation with somebody. You can reach out to someone at work. There can be a bridge built somehow. We all eat multiple times a day and everybody loves to talk around food. Like, listen, we can eat our way into the kingdom of God. And I'm here for that, right? Like that, but that's the truth. We all drink some kind of tea or coffee or Coke or whatever it is. There, we all care about people. You can use these gifts. You can use these opportunities to show hospitality. If there's a place in your life where you have a divide, you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to cross that divide, to take the other and make them another, to take the out and make them in. Matthew 25 has the story of of Jesus kind of separating those that lived for him and those that didn't. 
And there's a moment where people, they come to God and they're like, yeah, we lived for you. We did everything we were supposed to do. And Jesus is like, sorry, you don't get to enter the kingdom of heaven. You didn't care about me. You didn't love me. This is the George paraphrase, okay? And there's this moment where they're like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Every time, we never saw you. We never saw you. How are we supposed to give you a drink? How are we supposed to clothe you? You were never there. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Whatever you did to the least of these, you did for me. And then this other group comes up and, and Jesus is like, well done. <laughs> you, you get to come in. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And their reaction is the same. What do you mean? <laughs> I never saw you. You weren't there. They have the same reaction as the first group. But Jesus says, no, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. What would the church look like if we continuously created environments of welcome where the identities of others shifted to friends? We got rid of false identities. We got rid of labels and people became people and strangers became friends. What would the church look like What would your life look like if we chose hospitality over fear? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have this divine hospitality, that you took the first step. We love because you first loved us. You gave it all for us. I pray that we can embrace that and that we can welcome that. And as we live our lives out, we can live with that same divine hospitality with you living through us. I pray for courage to cross those barriers. I pray for courage to battle that fear. I pray that when we can look around, it won't be fear that drives us, but your hospitality, that we can live with that lens. We can see people with your eyes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.